Hey, this is the national treasure, Nick Aldis, and I am recommending that you go to savewithconrad.com for all your home buying needs. Not only would I recommend Save With Conrad to friends and coworkers, I have many times already. If I know that they're house hunting, my first recommendation to them always is get in touch with Conrad. His team are the real deal and they will they will be straight up with you and, and do everything they can to, to get you in the house. NMLS number 65084 Equal Housing Lender. Woo! At Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm cold. How are you? It's it's it's, it's summertime, isn't it? Uh, it's not cold down here. We're in the 80s. Man, today. it's cold up here. It's like cold. I, I wake up. It's like like 49 degrees, and I had the air conditioner on when I went to bed last night, and I get up this morning, and it's 60 degrees, which is nice, but it's cold. I'm cold. Well, I'll tell cold you, and I'm cold. I'll tell you what was not cold. That Puerto Rico crowd. My goodness, Bruce. Bravo. Muy caliente. I know we don't talk about current stuff, but I just want to give you your flowers. I thought the show over the weekend backlash was absolutely fantastic. Man, that crowd was something else. How about that pop for Carlito? What a fun show. It's muy caliente. It was. And, and hey, we're hoping for a fun show today. Of course, we're coming to you a little later. As you might imagine, Bruce has been uh, busier than a one-armed paper hanger, but hey, better late than never. It'd be kind of like this. Yeah, it would be tough. Let's just talk about it. Uh, today, we're coming off of um, one of the worst WrestleManias in history, WrestleMania 13. We'll be talking about the fallout from that show as we build towards... Well, that's the worst WrestleMania ever. Well, it, uh, it, it got fewer buys than uncensored. So just, you know... Maybe not the best WrestleMania. I think everybody agrees 14 really turned that, that whole thing around. I love a couple of matches on 13. My favorite match of all time is on 13. You thought 13 was one of the better WrestleManias? I don't know. You know, they, it's kind of after 39 of them. It, it kind of, it's kind of hard to choose what is good and what isn't. And I still, you know. I will still say that it holds true that WrestleMania 17 is probably the best of all time. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's hard to tell. Yeah. You got some good ones. You got some bad ones. Got some in between, but after, you know, when you do that many of them, after a while, it kind of, I think it's all in the eye of the beholder. Sure. Well, the, uh, the eyes of the beholders, uh, that were holding the wrestling observer said this was not the best one and well, then consider your source. Uh, of course, in my opinion, one of the greatest matches of all time is on that card, stone cold, Steve Austin and Bret Hart. But either way, we've got a lot of moving parts for this WrestleMania. You and I have talked about 
you know, what was supposed to happen, what might've happened, what you would have liked to have happened. Now we know what did happen and we're going to just, you know, play it as, as it comes. Shawn Michaels has, has forfeited his title. He lost his smile and we had to come up with a new plan. So we do the final four pay-per-view instead of determining a true number one contender after the controversy from the 97 Royal rumble. Now we're going to crown a champion. It's Bret Hart. He loses it the very next night on raw to Sid. And we set up Sid versus the undertaker and we set up Brett versus Austin. It becomes a submission match because we want to try to be inclusive of our new special guest referee, Ken Shamrock. But on the heels of that, now we've done a double turn. Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was clearly a heel, is now a babyface. And Bret Hart, who's one of the most beloved world champions in history, is now a heel. Is that still, all these years later, maybe the best example of a double turn? That's a damn good one, that's for sure. Because yeah. you had, you know, and, and Steve, I'm, I'm, it wasn't all in one night, man. That, that's where people get lost in translation. Steve, when Steve came back, from his injury and really got the stone cold gimmick rolling. Steve had just this groundswell of support that the audience wanted Steve to be their guy so bad. And we waited and waited and waited and they had already turned Steve, but it was, if anything, it was really the turning of Bret Hart and the solidifying of the crybaby Brett yes. at that point, because it was, you know, I think Brett felt both personally and uh, character wise that, well, the audience just turned on him for this, you know, foul mouth, loud mouth, you know, Texan that should, should be jeered, not cheered. And, you know, Brett, that kind of confused Brett. Again, the character and the human being a little bit. But, you know, I don't know that Stone Cold could have turned without Brett Hart. And Brett did a magnificent job of, of helping to make, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Both guys, I, I think that those were some of the greatest matches ever. Brett and Steve and it takes two to tango there. And holy cow, man, that's, as you say, that's some memorable, good stuff. So listen, we know Steve being a baby face is going to work out. He's going to become one of the, if not the biggest merch seller of all time. I mean, what a role he's going to be on from that perspective. But I'm curious, was that something that Brett was nervous about or concerned about? the merch money perhaps disappearing. I mean, here's this beloved figure and I know that you guys have this idea or maybe we should talk about that. Did you have the idea of he's going to be a heel here, but he's going to be a baby face the rest of the world that wouldn't slow down his international merch. Or was that even the plan going in? No, that that's really not in the discussion at that point. I don't know that Brett's merchandise was so significant that you look at that go, Oh my God, if we lose this, I got you. Um, you know, you, you look at what's best for business overall. And I think that is what was best for business overall. You know, Steve's merch at that point had already exploded. So right. there's no problem there. Did it seem like for the year prior, uh, you know, WrestleMania is not really going to be 
normally it feels like WrestleMania when you go back in time, it's the, the end of a year long build. This is the culmination. This is the blow off. This is the end of this mega feud, but man, we're having to switch gears awfully fast here. I mean, undertaker and Sid have like a three or four week build is all Austin and Brett had certainly been getting started, you know, since before survivor series, we'll go back to the fall of the prior year. Um, but we're also now injecting Ken Shamrock in there. Did, did it feel like a different WrestleMania or was it business as usual? You just had a funky situation with the title. You know, we had a funky situation and it was, I don't know that it was necessarily what we wanted, uh, across the board. So, you know, you're, you're changing things up and you're trying to make things work and not having as much time as I think ordinarily we would have loved to have had. So yeah, man, you're, you're kind of changing things up and you're, you're hoping that they work and I, different people look at WrestleMania in different ways. Some people look at it as the end. Some people look at it as the beginning. Right. So there's, there's a lot of both try to have that variety where you're not just ending stories, but you're starting new ones. And that's that fine line that you have to walk to make sure that, all right, you're going to build something up for the big climax. And we also have to build something up for the first one where you want to see a lot more of that going further. So it's, it's a, it's a catch 22. The night after WrestleMania 13 raw is a sellout. And we know that I shouldn't say we know a lot of fans, myself included, consider the night after WrestleMania 14 to be the first crazy Monday after WrestleMania. But here you are in, in after WrestleMania 13 selling out there as well. How much of that is, you know, just timing. How much of it is the change of the format? If you're watching over on YouTube, raw in this era started to be presented as raw is war. So we had sort of the two hour breakup. And just a totally different presentation. Uh, as I understand it, there was a new video package that was done by Sahadi and the whole vibe and feel changed. Is that maybe where you sort of mark, Hey, this is where business changed for us when we changed our approach to Monday night raw. Well, I think that we had changed the approach to raw prior to that. Maybe yes. a new opening and everything, but it was, it had already been changed. We had already started to make it a little bit edgier of a product and you know now you're you know you're all in and it was after wrestlemania as i said which is kind of a new beginning for everything so it looks like all right hey there's a there's a new open there's a new feel there's an energy overall and especially you know we're we're around the chicago area which has always been a great market for us and you know, I just think things were, things were hot in that regard. One of the other things that's going to get hot is the heart foundation in 1997. But before we get there, it looks like it's going to break up before it ever has an opportunity. The WWF tag team champions, Owen Hart and British bulldog are going to be wrestling against the headbangers the night after WrestleMania. And it's been building tension here for a little bit, but it finally boils over and they set up a European title match for the next week. And, uh, man, that was some fun stuff. I loved watching these guys do their thing. And then we get a 22 minute angle with Bret Hart coming out and continuing his heel turn. And this is probably one of the more important interviews of Bret's career. 
he's going to, uh, talk about how he's been this hero in Germany and Europe and South Africa and Canada, but then start running down Americans for liking guys and cheering guys like Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin. That's a mixed response at first, but eventually fans are with it. They start chanting Austin. And, uh, he points out that Americans cheer people like Charles Manson and OJ Simpson, and they glamorize criminals and tells American fans to kiss his ass. And this is a pretty big time heel turn. And the most comparable one would maybe be the more shocking one of Hulk Hogan turning heel over in WCW. How important was this promo to cement this new direction for the Bret Hart character at this point? Well, I think that it helped allow Brett the opportunity to express why he felt the way he felt. And there's nothing that Brett said that wasn't true. Everything Brett said was true. And it was, I think, as people look at our country a lot of times, that's what they see. You know, you look at it, you go, wait a minute, man. You know, when did we become a country that we, you know, can bash our president? When did we become a country that, we were no longer patriotic and we didn't, you know, get behind what the country was about at the time. And the country had lost its way. So I think that Brett could pick on that and look at that and, and point out things where you celebrate a man like Charles Manson, who got people to murder innocent people for no reason other than to murder them. You have people like O.J. Simpson that you're fascinated with for the reason that he allegedly killed his wife. And you make him a hero. You put him on a pedestal. And then you have a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's putting Steve Austin in that same category. And the audience is like, no, man, you know, that's no. Steve isn't there. Steve's the guy that stands up for himself. And Steve's the guy that, you know, is a badass. And didn't, by the way, didn't quit, Brett. Right. You know, that kind of shit. And there were, there were just... Nuggets of truth all throughout Brett's promo that made people think about it and get angry about it because they sat there and said, well, well, yeah, I, I tune in to see what's happening with the OJ trial. Yeah, I tune in to see what's happening with things that are atrocious going on in our country. And, and that was that intriguing time where the negative was the celebrity of it all. Mm. And we were making celebrity of just really horrible people in our, in our culture and in our time. They're going to have a conversation here. Shawn Michaels is going to come out and say that, you know, uh, Brett's a Mark man for taking his accomplishments in wrestling too seriously. And the fans have a right to cheer or boo as they please. And I wasn't upset when they booed me. Maybe that's not true. And then he, uh, eventually challenges Bret Hart to a America love it or leave it match. You know, like, uh, are you saying you need to love it or leave it? But it's clear that they're setting up some sort of, a a new match. And this is on the heels of the WrestleMania that a lot of people thought would have been a rematch from WrestleMania 12. Of course we know it doesn't happen, but man, they're really going back and forth here. You know, Brett talking about Sean posing in girly magazines and and then eventually Sid comes out and Brett's going to ease out of there, take a powder, but in the process, he's going to flip Sid off. So we're getting a little edgy, even right before WrestleMania, we saw this edgier side of Bret Hart. 
where he pushed down Vince McMahon and said, frustrated, isn't the goddamn word for it. You never heard that type of stuff on raw before. So we're getting a little edgier, but we're, it seems like we're jumping right back in to Sean versus Brett. And I'm curious from your perspective, how frustrating was that, that you wanted that match the night before, but it seems like we're going to try to set it up right after for maybe a less than WrestleMania pay-per-view. Well, I think that any time that you have an idea and you have a plan that's laid out that you have in your head, it's already played out in your head. You know how you want every beat to happen where and when, and something happens along the way for whatever reason that you can't do it. So that's always frustrating. That's always frustrating to have to change up and go back to the drawing board when you know, you're, you're looking at here, here's what never happened. Here's what, here's what just couldn't happen for whatever reason. Doesn't matter the reason it's a frustration. Yes, it, it definitely is because you're feeling like, you know, damn it, man, this, uh, you'll never know. Right. That's just it. You'll just never know. It's a fun time because we're seeing Brett all over the place. He's clearly got issues with Sid. He's got issues with Sean. He's got issues with Austin. And later in this same episode, we're going to see him attack Rocky Maivia after a match with Leaf Cassidy. Of course, we know Leaf Cassidy's Al Snow and Rocky what? Maivia. What, what he ever do? Uh, Leaf St- Cassidy was one of the rockers. I knew he was a new rocker. <laughs> you know, the idea though is, I guess. We, we firmly cement that Brett is a bad guy when he has issues with Sean and he has issues with, um, with Austin, but when he's facing a guy like Rocky Maivia, who really has not connected with the audience, we're trying maybe to, okay, clearly you need to cheer the rock here or cheer Rocky because look, he's against this bad guy. So that match almost feels like it's just as much to submit, Hey, please like Rocky as it is. Please hate Brett. Right. Nah, I think it was more, please hate Brett. And by this point, yeah, the Rocky, my via experiment was still taking place. And I, you know, Brett from Brett's point of view, Brett wanted to work with rock and Brett want Brett wanted to work with him and thought that he could get him to be that baby face on the other side. And fortunately that never came to fruition. Somehow, some way the title is not really in the discussion for all that Brett and Sean and Austin and Sid are doing. Now we're headed towards undertaker, Paul bear and mankind. That's going to really be what the main event program is all about for the world title. And Paul bear is attempting to make up with the undertaker. Now that he's the champion and mankind is begging uncle Paul not to. And a week later, mankind even throws fire in the undertaker's face when he's going to attack Paul. Listen, clearly these guys just had magic together in 1996, but from your perspective, why was mankind the right, perfect opponent or first opponent for a now champion undertaker? Well, it was something new and you know, here, here you had a new champion, but you also had a brand new, um, I want to say monster, but, but yeah, you had a new monster in mankind. This was a brand new character and this was someone that, you know, was coming in and you bring them in on top and they're a top guy, right? That 
was the idea with Mick. And by bringing Mankind in at the time, it was made sense. You know, you have a new champion and now you have a brand new challenger that before he even, you know, does one thing, you believe that he is a formidable challenger to the undertaker. Well, he had multiple victories over taker the prior year. So that makes sense. Well, it does, but at the same time, it's like you're, you're looking at it and it's still new, right? It's still fresh because you have a championship involved. So it's, you know, mix, you know, he was still, he was still on his honeymoon. My opinion, you still, he was still in his honeymoon. Well said. So one of the thing I wanted to ask though, is as they're getting paired together here, undertaker and mankind, did you already have the Kane story in mind? We'll call it April no. of 97. No. Okay. It was here where the, the beginning of, of Kane started to take root because we were looking at opponents for the undertaker as a champion. Right. You know, by the time we got there, things changed and everything, but you're still, you're looking at, okay, you've switched Brett undertakers, your guy right now, who's going to be that next opponent. And we were really looking for a one-off with Kane, but you were looking for opponents again, new and different, uh, for the undertaker. So this is kind of where, you know, I started, well, what if. Well, we saw plenty and I mean, plenty of mankind undertaker and boy, they were fantastic matches the prior year, the boiler room brawl, of mm-hmm. course, where we saw the turn and then of course the buried alive match. I mean, the stakes just continually raised. Now the title's going to be on the line, but I don't think that was maybe the original plan because there was some preliminary promotional material out that showed Vader versus undertaker. The story at the time in the newsletters was that maybe Vader's knee wasn't doing all that great. They weren't sure that he would be reliable in that spot. And I find that interesting because you go back just the night before at WrestleMania undertaker invader or a tag team seemingly because, well, we didn't have anything else for him to do. So we'll just make him a tag team here. Was Vader ever considered? And do you think this could have been maybe the second chance he never got? I mean, we know what was supposed to happen after SummerSlam 96 in theory, there would have been a trilogy. We would have gotten another match at survivor series and then blown it off at Royal rumble with Sean when that doesn't happen. And now he doesn't get the nod here. It feels like it's kind of all downhill from Vader after this. Well, I'll also go back and look at Vader. This was also during a time that Vader had put on an awful lot of weight and, you know, people romanticize about Vader, uh, when he was in Japan and would just go in and beat people up. I don't think anybody ever accused Vader of being a great worker, right? He was a bully that liked to beat people up. Um, and they let him get away with it, but you know, you go back and look at his Japan stuff. That's what he, you know, that's what he did. Um, it would, by the time he got to WWE, he was a shell of that, of that guy, that character lot from the time that the incident with Paul Orndorff happened in WCW mm-hmm. and Bader left and Orndorff, you know, allegedly Kicked his ass in flip-flops. Um, Vader was not the Leon, the Leon White, the confidence of Leon White and all of that. That hit that ship had sailed. And in many ways, you know, 
I think we got damaged goods in that regard because, you know, you didn't get the guy that you had seen for years. No, you got a guy that got his ass whipped in the shower by, you know, somebody in flip-flops. It's no shame to get your ass whipped by Paul Orndorff. No. <laughs> okay. No. Um, but I think when you're supposed to be the tough guy and the bully, um, yeah, I think he, there was shame in that for him. And, you know, people romanticize, oh, Vader this. Vader, man, didn't come as Vader when he came in. He was he was a shell of that guy and never could get his groove back. But by this time, he had put weight on. Um, he His knees were bothering him. He was breaking down. And all of a sudden, he realized that, oh, shit, you know, it's, it's a little different thing when you've got guys as big as you and they're hitting back. Um, it's really easy when you just go in and bombard people and they're not hitting you back. All of a sudden you get in there and you think Undertaker's going to take that? Nah. He was younger, stronger, faster, and it's like, I'm not going to sit here and, and just get pounded on. Let so me- it was different, and, and you didn't have this, this facade that had followed him around his career. Well, I, I'm a huge Vader fan, so I got to ask for clarification here. In your opinion, are you saying that your opinion on Vader or the office's opinion, the perception of Vader had changed on the heels of the Orndorff thing? No, I'm saying Vader changed. I'm saying the human being changed. The human being changed. You know, it, it was, he wasn't, he didn't have the same swagger. He didn't, you know, he, there was the, there was the fairy tale that he's this big, bad, tough guy that, you know, couldn't be beat or beat up. And he did, he got beat up. So that changes the perception of people. Now people are looking at him going, eh, he's not so tough after all, is he? Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to drill down on because you're saying he changed, but you didn't know yeah. him before. Did you, or you just knew what you saw on tape? You knew what you see, you know, what you, you had seen and you knew what other people, other people that did know him. Right. But yeah, you, you, you knew what you saw and then you saw what you got. Right. Something changed. And the only thing that I know that changed was that he guy, I know he put on weight. Right. I know he was sloppy. I know he had bad hygiene. Golly, are we just is this I know, very Vader? Well, no, day? no, you asked. You asked. So what changed? What changed was he didn't have the same swagger. He didn't have the same confidence. He put on a lot of weight so he couldn't be as athletic as he had been before. He couldn't do that shit anymore. What? No, don't do that, Leon. No, he couldn't. And don't get me wrong, because I really fucking like Leon White. I like Leon a lot. But it was that persona, man, it's like you see something, you watch it in another environment. Think, Oh, my God, that would be so cool to have here. You bring it to this new environment where you think it'll fit in, and sometimes it just doesn't fit. And Leon didn't fit. It wasn't the same guy. I'm in John. Johnny B. Bad, Mark Merrow. Saw Johnny B. Bad. Johnny B. Bad was attractive as shit. Johnny B. Bad had charisma and personality and all this other stuff. You take Johnny B. Bad, the same human being, 
with that same charisma you thought. And you brought him over here. You gave him, you know, unfortunately, his real name and, you know, in a wild man gimmick that he thought that's that's how he saw himself. And nobody gave a shit because he didn't have the Johnny B. Bad persona to hide behind anymore. It was easy to become Johnny B. Bad. It wasn't easy to be Mark Merrill on TV. Man, even the phrasing there, it's easy to hide behind Mark Merrill. Do you think that? Oh, is dude, dude, I hid behind Brother Love. Are you kidding me? Okay. Easy to go out and, and be Brother Love. Right. I didn't have to be Bruce. Man, I hid behind. Fuck yes. And you, when you have a gimmick like that, man, it's easy to hide behind that gimmick. And, and, and But I became the gimmick. Mark, you know, as Johnny B. Bad, oh, my God, entertaining as hell. Great. I don't know if his work was that great, but the charisma, the character, the way that he portrayed it I was didn't. great. It allowed him to step in, allowed him to step into a character. And that's what I mean. I was allowed to step into Brother Love and hide behind Brother Love. I could do things as Brother Love. I couldn't do as Bruce. Right. I had a confidence in brother love that I didn't have the same confidence in Bruce. I do. It's just different. Right? No, I, I get it because you know, when you're putting your real self out there, you start to second guess things versus you're vulnerable. The, yes. Yes. Because you're not, yeah. I mean, you know, that's just human nature, right? Yeah. Yeah. But well, the gimmick is the gimmick. You can, you can hide behind the gimmick. That's a, that's a good thing for a lot of performers. Do you think he felt more like Leon here in the WWE and less like Vader? I believe that Leon felt exposed. I think Leon felt exposed once the Orndorff thing happened. Right. Like, uh-oh, maybe I'm not as tough as I wanted everybody to think. Now they know. Right. All, all my peers watched it happen. Those are the guys that I was trying to fool. Right. The audience never saw that. Right. But they sure, sure witnessed a change after the fact. They knew something was different. Something was wrong. He wasn't the same. They couldn't put their finger on it because they didn't know what had happened. It's like Ric Flair. Rick lost his confidence. Right. In WCW. Rick wasn't the same person. It took a long time before Rick got that swagger back. But he did. Well, maybe you're looking to uh, go see some swagger live and in person and up close. You need game time. There's never been a time to stress about tickets. As long as you got this game tap at game time app in your phone, you're all set, man. You can get fast and easy tickets, even the same day of the event. How about that for last minute for all things, sports, music, comedy, and theater. And it just doesn't get any easier than this. It's just two taps and boom, the tickets are in your phone. But what I like best about these guys is the peace of mind. It's called the game time guarantee. They guarantee you'll get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less money, game time will give you 110% of the difference. Think about that. They're going to credit you 110% of the difference. So you know, you're always getting the best deal. Not only that, they eliminate the guesswork. We've all seen a seat map and said to ourselves, self, is this a good seat? Well, eliminate all that by going ahead and knowing, Hey, this is what it's going to look like when I get there. 
two taps and you're all set. By the way, did I mention you can do this at the last minute? Game time is known for flash deals and last minute tickets. You don't need to get stressed out. And with that lowest price guarantee, how do you lose? Check it out. Download the game time app, snag the tickets without the stress. All you got to do is download the game time app, create an account and use the code wrestle. You'll get $20 off your first purchase terms apply again, create an account and redeem with the code wrestle for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Bruce, a friend of ours uh, over in St. Louis had promised his daughter, Hey, we're going to go to the game. We're going to go see the Cardinals. And then he forgot. I talked to him that day. And then he forgot. And she said, dad, we're still going to the game tonight. Right? <gasps> yes, we are, honey. He had that little pregnant pause. Cause he was like, I forgot. You know why? Cause he was on the phone with me. Really? And I said, yeah, he was. And I said, Hey, game time, dude. He's like, Holy cow. You're right. And by God. They went to the game that night. Use the code wrestle. Save $20. I know it is. He told me the same thing. Don't Listen, get hot. Don't get hot and don't yeah. miss the game. Go right now. No. Download the game time app. Use that promo code wrestle. You're going to get great seats. You're going to get great peace of mind. And you're going to get $20 off when you use our promo code wrestle. And the moral of this story is, is if you think it's too last minute, it's not. It's there you game go. Time. There you go. Love it. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Uh, Ahmed Johnson and Farouk are now in an angle where Ahmed is going to challenge a new member of the nation of domination to a match. And if he wins, they have to disband, but Farouk is unable to get cleared. So the match is scrapped. This is still fallout from the awesome story they've been telling that goes back, man, long before the nation was even here, Farouk and Ahmed Johnson are just mortal enemies here. Were there plans this early in 97 to break up the nation as we would see later on with the split that's going to come in the year, or were you just taking it week by week and, and seeing how it went? No, uh, actually early on the idea for the nation was to give Ron Simmons a platform for Ron to break out and hopefully be that baby face ah, okay. down the road when, you know, obviously that didn't happen. It became. Okay. When rock joined and rock grabbed that microphone, then that became the platform for rock to break out and be that, to be that leader and kind of kick Farouk to the curb. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that the plans are then as big for Ron to be that big baby face, but I think things worked out all right for Ron Simmons. I think it worked out. Okay. Yeah. And Rock, Rocky Mavia, he did all right too, I guess in hindsight. Yeah, I think so. He, he he found his way. So the next day we're going to tape an episode of Monday night raw uh, or raw as war as it was. And there's going to be a fantastic wrestling match going on here with the bulldog and Owen Hart over the European title. Now, remember they're the tag champs, but they've not been clicking. And all of a sudden Brett's going to interrupt this very good match 
And we're going to have a conversation about how we shouldn't be fighting each other. We should be sticking together. This is how we reform the heart foundation angle. Was did Brett like that idea? How was Owen with that? How was bulldog with that? Just this heart foundation tag team from way back when with Jim, the Anvil Neinhart and Bret Hart was an iconic classic WWF tag team, but sometimes guys are ready to move on. And, and now it seems like we're going back to an old idea, but with a new twist. Now it's a heel faction, not just the tag team. How was, how receptive was everyone to that idea? Very, uh, it was family. So here was an opportunity of everybody. Brett wanted to work with Owen. He, he wanted to side by side with Owen. This was his opportunity and this was family and this was real. So you could feel it. Uh, people could go look and go, ah, yeah, you know, it, it is. It's family. Davey's married to Diana. Um, Jim and Ellie, everybody was family. It worked. So you had brothers and brother-in-laws all together and fighting together. And families fight. But by God, when one, one member of the family's down, usually the other family members come to their aid. Yes. And this was a perfect example of that. A really great job again by Brett. You know, I think when you take a look at Brett's entire career, some of his best mic work, it feels like 1997 was just his year. So the prior week when he's explaining, you know, how, I don't know. He's just not a fan of Americans. Now he's coming out this week and he's patching things up with a guy who's been his enemy for a long time, his own brother, Owen. And as he runs down their past, you can see Owen wiping away tears, really a great segment. He's blaming the Americans for tearing their family apart. And really we're the only two good wrestlers in our family, which was a nice little jab for everybody sitting at home. Just fantastic stuff here. It feels as if Brett has really embraced this because I know, I understand from time to time, maybe there's creative that talent aren't totally on board with. It feels like Brett is fully invested in this. Cause I think we're getting Brett at his best on the mic. Would you agree? You were because yeah. he was legitimately reuniting with his family and to be able to have them all together in, you know, look at the atmosphere, you know, Sean and his buddies and all that. And now, you know, he had his family around him. Yes. From the camera, behind the camera, uh, and everything in between. So it, it was real to Brett and all the best angles and all the best stories are when they have that reality within, you know, there, there's that, there's that string of, reality that spread through everything they do. And that's the best kind. It's a fascinating time in the company because we're trying a lot of new attitude era stuff. We have the raw is war approach. We've got an edgier Sean Michaels. We got Brett cursing on TV, throwing around the middle finger. Of course, we know what's happening with stone cold, Steve Austin and Austin 316, or just the evolution of that character. Yeah. So it feels like a step way forward. And then the honky talk man comes out on his quest. Continental champion of all time. That's exactly right. And he's here to yeah. find the next great intercontinental champion. And he's going to begin his search with Jesse James honky hands him his family heirloom, a guitar, obviously. And James responds with uh, smashing it on the mat. We're months away from the outlaws. We're going to still, unfortunately tinker and try a little bit. We've seen rockabilly. Now we're 
trying this with the road dog, Jesse James. This is, um, listen, we're, we're filling segments. We're checking boxes, but just seeing honky tonk man on TV in this era, although he had white hot heat and a great character, it felt like something from a generation before compared to the new direction. Is that fair to say? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, is there a way we can put Silva on camera on this thing? Yeah, Silva can show himself. So, so you, can you do the honky tonk man dance real quick for me? Okay, what? get off camera. Please get off camera. That what? was incorrect and get off camera. Look, I'm sorry you- I did that, folks. I apologize. I should not have done that. That was Conrad. Right now is is writing apology letters to all of our listeners and all the folks that unfortunately had to see that. Do not, whatever you do, do not go look at that at something That's our YouTube channel oh of all God. the things you want to see today. You don't want to see Dave Silva dancing. That's not on he the He did list. it the wrong way. The thumbs have to go the different ways. You couldn't see his thumbs. His, and his thumb, all he did was go. Well, he's got those little T-Rex arms, so it's not his fault. But I watched, what's the thing that he, that he did at your, uh. Oh your, Yeah. Yeah, I've seen him do that. He simulates motion there. He's not actually dancing. He's just simulating motion. Uh, He stands there and just like moves. He moves uh, his arms around his body. uh, His arms and the whole rest of the body jiggles. When you, when you ask Silva to dance, only his arms move. Okay. That's a thing. Uh, so there's a lot of Ken Shamrock footage. That's going to start airing on Monday night raw with footage from the UFC. And this is kind of cool. This is long before our 2023 news. And you're able to show UFC footage, but I guess at this era, man, they're still a ship with no sail. They're losing cash left and right, but it does add some legitimacy to the character that Ken Shamrock is going to be bringing in with him. Was the UFC easy to deal with as best you recall here back in 1997, the original owners, um, uh, God, I can't remember his name. Yes. Was, um, was a friend. So, you know, <laughs> he was, he, he was, he was fine. Look, Ken wasn't under contract. Ken wanted to do this. Uh, Marwitz liked Ken and Ken had done an awful lot in UFC and they recognized that they, you know, knew us, they were cool. And, um, we were able to work together. You know, we had, we had our moments right. sometimes that, uh, I would, I would get calls from Mr. Meyerwitz, uh, using that F word an awful lot. And, uh, I'd go, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, most of the time, but it would be things that, uh, you know, I, I had a relationship with Oleg, uh, Taktarov and I would always talk to Don Fry. Those guys were still involved in UFC, so the yes. impression was that, oh, hey, you're trying to steal them. It's like, I'm not trying to steal them now. I'm just saying when they're done, they've got a place to come to. Right. And um, that was it. Well, somebody who was uh, excited to be on TV in this era is Mr. Pat Patterson. There's going to be a pull apart on Jesus. Goldust is wrestling Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And Pat Patterson, who's 57 here, is uh, going to have a comeback fury when uh, when Triple H throws him down, and Meltzer would say it was actually better than what Flair was doing at the same time on the other channel, 
and China ends up attacking Patterson from behind. And the two just stomp the hell out of him until Goldust makes the save. I'm sure the old vet that he was Pat loved every minute of being involved in the physicality on the show. Didn't he? Absolutely. Improved and showed that, you know, as long as you work, you can, and you're a great worker. You can always work. Speaking of great workers, we're going to have a conversation now about you talking to a couple of great workers. This is directly from the observer based on several different versions of the same story. Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard had a meeting on the Tuesday before mania with Kurt and Larry Henning, according to the version of the Hennings that we're telling on nitro the next week or at nitro the next week, McMahon and Pritchard were one hour late. So they were just about ready to walk out when they came in. The sides were talking about a return to the WWF and the Hennings pulled out the letter Pritchard wrote to Lloyd's of London, which resulted in London, not paying Henning his reported $350,000 lump sum disability deal. It was basically a deal where Henning was talking to the WWF about returning at the same time, the WWF needed to get the legal situation straightened out with Lloyd's as to what their situation was. And it wound up as the blow up, which ended with Henning walking out and agreeing to go to WCW. The meeting really didn't go positively for the WWF after, although the idea at that point was made clear, the two sides weren't going to be doing any business. There was talk all week of potentially Henning coming back. Henning claimed at Nitro that Pritchard backpedaled from the point they pulled out the letter with his signature and claimed he knew nothing about it. But WCW was afraid as late as mania that he was going to stick with the WWF. And of course, WCW put Larry Henning on TV specifically to show Titan that they had Kurt. So listen, there's a lot that's been discussed over the years. We've talked a little bit about the Mr. Perfect hokey pokey here at the end of 96 and he wants to leave and blah, blah, blah. What I had never heard was you were somehow in the middle of all this Lloyd's of London stuff. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, it was in order to get Kurt cleared and you had to have a release from Lloyd's of London. So Kurt was like, no, I've got the release. Kurt never produced the release. So we asked Lloyd's of London, which is exactly what we did. But when we asked for Lloyd's of London, that opened up that, you know, wait, wait a minute. We paid you all this money and now you're going to go back to do what you say you couldn't do, which is why we paid you the money. That's all it was. Right. And they were like, you, you killed our Lloyd's of London deal. Kurt, you told me to ask them ourselves. And the best part about it was, is it's true. I really didn't know that they had sent a letter. Uh, I believe it was Linda's office. It, it said, this was the interim time that I was the okay. relations head. Okay. So JJ's fresh so out I had there. Literally. I, yeah. So I literally just stepped in and will sign this, sign this. And I did. And, but I knew about it. I knew about contacting Lloyd's of London for, the permission to say that, yes, he is cleared and that he can do this because we had notice from Lloyd's of London that he could not. Hmm. So that's all that was. And I think that Kurt was looking at it like all of a sudden he was going to have to pay that money back because Lloyd's of London was, was now aware, you know, they weren't always aware of what was going on. You could collect and they go, okay, we paid him off. 
and not know that the guy was back, you know, wrestling or playing football or whatever else that they may be insured for. But you know, the one guy, which I've always said, which always fascinated me, the one guy that probably legitimately could have uh, done a claim with Lloyd's of London and never cashed in was Flair. Right. And um, it just always fascinated me. But, uh, no, that's what that was all about. So help me understand, you know, we, we've, we've heard a lot about Lloyd's of London as wrestling fans all these years. Are you suggesting that guys would go back and wrestle on TV and the company wouldn't notice or say anything. And they were just trying to ask forgiveness rather than permission. Well, they did. Okay. That's, that's amazing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting I'm saying that some guys did. Like you've told us the fun little workaround that animal somehow convinced them of. So that's okay. My goodness. You know, uh, Kurt cashed in three times, I believe two or three times, at least twice for definitely sure. I think it may have been three times. So I understand it. That three fifty is not what you're going to get it every year in perpetuity. You get it one time. I believe it's a one-time payoff. Man, I, that- I'm not. I'm not going to say for sure. I don't know. That feels really short-sighted. I mean, you could have earned that in a year of wrestling. Like, goodness gracious. Uh, well, we know. Was it your experience that, that Kurt always handled his business with his dad? Because we've heard that a few times, that Larry and Kurt would come together. When it came no, to... No, not for this one time. Okay. To my knowledge, anyway. Okay. You might have. And, you know, and the sad thing is, because you had a great relationship with Kurt. And... Uh, you know, even after this had a good relationship with Kurt. It's just, you know, it was sad that, you know, that it got nasty, you know, for a little while. And, and when I say got nasty, that, that they had ill feelings. Right. Um, Larry, man, you know, always got along with Larry. I thought he was a great guy too. And this was just a, a complete, you know, business disagreement where, Okay. I want to come back, have to have the clearance from Lloyd's, um, ask for the clearance from Lloyd's. Why would you ask for the clearance from Lloyd's? Well, cause you told me that you couldn't get it, that we needed to ask for it. And you know, next. So, but this was the only time in, in my history that I ever dealt with Larry. Let's talk about, uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. He's going to ar- get arrested in Japan. He has marijuana, which is a big no-no over there. And, uh, it's reported that because of this arrest, you guys were pulling back a contract offer. You had to bring him in. We know he does come in, but it takes a year later. He comes in in early 98. Was he supposed to come in in 97? Do you remember that? We were definitely talking to Steve during this time. I, I don't know that there was ever an offer made that was pulled back, but I do know that we were talking to Steve during that time. And before anything did get official, this incident happened in Japan. So next let's talk about that. We know the, the attitude for marijuana has changed as a whole from then to now in the world. Yes. All over. Uh, but back in 1997 and and maybe even now, I I believe now marijuana is still a big deal over there, but it's not here, at least domestically in America. And I'm curious from your perspective, was it a big deal from the WWF or was it more of, Hey, he's got a legal issue and that's bad press for us. He had a legal issue and it was potentially an international 
yes. narcotic issue. Right. Not good. So, yeah, not good. Uh, Dale Wilkes. Is- I mean, that issue could have prevented him from going otherwhere internationally. I see. So, I see. Yeah. So it's a function of if we bring him in, we might be handicapped because we couldn't do tours here or there because he had an international drug charge. I understand. Right. You know, like, especially Canada. Right. Wouldn't have happened. Somehow, some way Dale Wilkes is rumored to come in around this same time as well. Uh, did you know at this point you, you had this anti-American thing? I mean, I know that the Brenna cut that one promo on raw, but this feels like almost immediate. Like once he says anything anti-American, oh, let's get the Patriot in here. You had met him down in global. I believe. Tell us about how all that came together. Um, so I'd worked with Dell in, in global and I'd always wanted to bring him in because once global had gone away, he wasn't, you know, shit. He left, he left right after I beat him in global. Um, no, he left global God right after I got there, but we had been out a few times and talked a few times. I always enjoyed his work. I shit. I enjoyed his work when he was a state trooper for Vern. This guy was over in Japan. It was the same thing. The, American audience hadn't really ever seen him. And with the exception of the global wrestling federation, I don't know that he had ever had any national exposure at all. Um, hell of a worker. I thought good guy and wanted to bring him in. And we, we did, we had been talking to him and, and brought him up. And then the whole Americana, uh, sentiment, with Brett and that was just, it was easy. It was there. It was tailor made. I think we're about a year away from Jim Cornette saying I've had enough. It makes the observer here in 1997 that he's going to be managing again soon. He was replaced by Raymond Rougeau on the shotgun challenge tapes because he had a real bad flu and had no voice. So they even did an angle where he's offering a contract to the blackjacks, but they rip it up. And even though Jim is maybe the most prolific promo in wrestling history, he's having to just sort of act it out rather than be vocal because he has no voice. And Meltzer would speculate what I expect to happen is Cornette will wind up managing a heel furnace and Lafon who will then feud with the blackjacks. And that mix doesn't sound like it's going to get either team over furnace and Lafon at first, we're going to be managed by Bob Backlund, but Cornette is a lot better fit. Furnison Lafon and the Blackjacks are two of my great what ifs from this era. I thought the Blackjacks. <laughs> what uh, if what? Well, I loved Bradshaw and Wyndham, and I loved the look and two big badasses. It just felt like, man, this could be fun. And I've seen some tremendous Furnace and Lafon matches. Unfortunately, not a lot of those in the WWF. Were both of those just doomed from the start? They just weren't a good fit for this presentation? Furnace and Lafon were not. They, they just didn't. I don't know that they, um, I think going to Japan and I'll say, cause I had never seen LaFon before he was in Japan, but I had seen Doug Furnace in Alabama. I knew Furnace could sell. I knew Furnace was a hell of a fucking worker. Oh my God. Great worker. Um, and I think Japan kind of ruined him. How so? Japan, uh, he lost the art of selling and storytelling. I see. Um, he just did spots and big strongman stuff and didn't, didn't know how to sell at all. 
you know, when that's not the fact. The fact is, is that one of the things that I always thought that Doug Furness was so good at was the fact that he could sell believably. Yes. And was one of those talent that, you know, you look at, go, oh, my God, there's a jacked up Ricky Morton motherfucker that, <laughs> that, that could go. Doug didn't have a whole lot of personality, admittedly so, but I think that he made up with it for it in the ring. Um, I was always a big fan of, of Doug Furness. I, I just think that the tag team with LaFon in Japan, everybody went gaga over him because they did all these spots. But it's not what, not what we do. And um, unfortunately, you know, I, I was showing tapes of Doug Furness in Alabama where he sold and and was this working machine. And he came up here and he was – um, fresh out of Japan and doing the Japan stuff. Well, listen, I, I understand that, um, sometimes you go with what you think has, has brought you to the dance. And so maybe he thought, Hey, Japan has more stature. I'll do what I did over there. Maybe that's why they wanted me. But the thing that always stood out to me about furnace and the is we have all these larger than life characters. We've got the Legion of Doom. We've got the Undertaker. We've got Mankind. We've got the Headbangers. We got the Blackjack. So, and then it's like Furnace and the Fun. Okay, they're not the the Headbangers, and they're not the the Dead Zombie, and they're not the the uh, the whatever Gold the Androgynous. No, they're they're the wrestlers. And it mm-hmm. felt as if because they're the wrestlers, maybe it was doomed from the start. Do you think? His gimmick is he's just a good wrestler ever really works in the WWF. No, it doesn't. But I thought that if you could get him in the ring and you could, he could show again, Doug had a way of working that I thought he drew the audience in. And I think that, you know, Doug could have gotten to that point and LaFon good looking guy, man, suave Frenchman. It just was, um, and the, the, they were so opposite, but yet, I don't know. I thought it could work and obviously it didn't cause they never connected with the audience. If you could have put furnace, uh, I, I know you said LaFon is a horse of a different color, but you obviously hold Doug furnace in high regard. If you could have put him in another gimmick, was there another spot that you think could have worked that he could have embraced and. Maybe we could have got there or was it a, a matter of timing? He was a few, I think it was ago. a matter of timing. Yeah. I, I really do. I think it was just a matter of timing and that's all it was. Let's talk about, uh, your boy, Gerald Briscoe. We talked about how Pat Patterson was getting physically involved with triple H. Well, mankind is going to put the mandible claw on Gerald Briscoe. This is a year before we're going to know them as quote unquote stooges. They're probably both having a fun time as WWE officials getting involved in some physical angles though. No. Well, Gerald didn't like to have anything in his mouth. All right. Uh, Sid (laughs) is going to miss a raw taping due to a back injury. And he's actually pulled from his scheduled match with Brett at the pay-per-view. So the original plan, well, that's what I wanted to talk about because the guy drops the title at WrestleMania and then all of a sudden can't work. And this in the newsletter leads to a lot of speculation, much like it did with Sean in an injury. Were you guys always 
sort of holding your breath with Sid? Cause it felt like of all the words you could use to describe him reliable would probably not be one of them. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, because you look at Sid and if you were going to do the old Jim Hurd thing, yeah, look at this guy, look at this guy. Um, Sid had the tools. Sid had, man, he had the look. He's standing there. He looks like a Greek God and cut a hell of a promo. And by God, he, he could talk people into the building. Sid knew how to do that. And Sid looked the part. Um, he could do enough in the ring. People believed in him. Uh, but, you know, Sid could oftentimes be his own worst enemy and thinking that he knew better and that uh, he understood a lot better and wanted to do things his way. And if he didn't get things done his way, a lot of times he would go on and do something else. So that was just Sid's MO and got the reputation for softball season that all of a sudden he would have injuries that would pop up and you wouldn't hear from him. So yeah, he wasn't all that reliable all the time. Meltzer would say the story on Sid is he supposedly has a herniated disc in his back caused by straining his back, working out at the gym. The reason it was handled so clumsily on the April 7th raw is they literally didn't know about it as the show was going and they didn't know if he was going to be there or not. Apparently he left a message at the office over the weekend, but nobody was there. And since raw was taped on a Sunday night, nobody knew. And he didn't think to call the building to let anyone know he was hurt. He finally talked to Vince late in the or week. Or call anyone's home numbers that he had. Yeah. So you guys are just frustrated. This is just Sid being Sid. Apparently, yes. Uh, Billy Gunn is the next person to turn down the honky tonk man on the programming. Um, there's rumor and speculation that this was supposed to be Disco Inferno. He had been recently released by WCW because he didn't want to lose to Jacqueline or Miss Jackie as she was. And Vince Russo has said that you talked to Disco and you asked some questions to Disco and you didn't like Disco's answers and you shelved the idea. There's even a, an article that comes out in the magazine that basically says Disco Inferno is coming in. It doesn't happen. Do you remember having a conversation with Glenn Gilberti about coming in and it just didn't work? I don't remember not to say that I didn't, but I don't remember that now. That could have been interesting. A disco Inferno mm -hmm. character through the attitude era. I mean, obviously you wouldn't I, have called him that, but yeah, I mean the, you know, think about it is, is I like disco's gimmick. I, I thought he was entertaining as hell. Yeah. He made and it work. He did. You know, he went out there to, to me. He was always entertaining. Always seemed to be busting his ass. Um, like him or don't like him, you can't deny that he's entertaining. Right. And again, I've, I've talked to him years since and all this stuff. And, uh, I have, yeah, no bad feelings at all. to disco. I always thought that this, you know, again, this guy's going out and, and doing disco and embracing it. And by God, you know, he would go out there and he would get somebody over like nobody's business. Um, so chances are, I may have talked to him. I just, I can't recall that conversation. It may not just have been, you know, that. Yeah. I remember K dog's conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't remember, uh, Glenn's conversation and, uh, I probably did. And, um, 
but I have no idea. That's Glenn Texan right there to remind oh, us yeah. that you'll get so the best shave of your life with Henson shaving. Guys, I just love talking to you about Henson shaving. It real deal is my absolute favorite razor I've ever had. It's the last razor I'll ever need. What I'm so impressed about Henson with though, is this wasn't the original plan. This is a family owned business that got into the aerospace parts manufacturing business to the point where they made parts for the international space station and the Mars Rover. But what they decided to do is take their aerospace grade CNC machines and start making metal razors that are just 0.0013 inches. And I know what you're thinking. How thick is that? Well, it's less than the thickness of a human hair. And what that means for you is a secure and stable blade that gives you a vibration free shave. So no more nicks or cuts or scrapes. A bad shave isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. And these are just 0.0013 inches. You've never seen a razor this thin. And by the way, this razor has built in channels to evacuate hair and cream. It makes clogging virtually impossible. Henson shaving wanted to make the best razor, not the best razor business. Let me explain. There's no plastic here. This is metal. It's substantial. It's the last razor you'll ever need. There's no subscription gimmicks. We'll come back to that. There's no proprietary blades. This uses the same style dual edge blade your grandfather used to use, except it's got the benefits of new school tech. Your razor is much thinner and there's no planned obsolescence. This will never go out of style. You see a double edge razor, man, we've been using that for decades. And here's the cool thing. Once you own the actual razor itself, yes, you've got to buy blades. And that's where it gets costly. If you're using one of those old style ones, meaning if you go down to the drugstore right now, they keep the razors under lock and key because that's how they build their business. You get the body of the razor pretty cheap, but man, when you go load up on those razors, dude, it's so expensive. They keep it under lock and key. What else as a, at the drugstore is under lock and key. Here's what's cool about Henson. Once you own the actual razor, the blades three to five bucks, not three to $5 a week, not three to $5 a month, not three to $5 a quarter, three to $5 a year. Very seldom in life. Do we find that something is better and cheaper? Normally better costs more. This is not only better than what you've been doing. It's also cheaper. I absolutely love mine. I've got my barber turned on to it. I keep one of these razors at the office, one at home, one in my travel bag. Even my barber, and they do this for a living, has never found a better razor than Henson. It's time to say no to subscriptions. It's time to say yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Go right now to hensonshaving.com slash wrestle to pick up the razor for you and use the code wrestle. And man, you'll get two years worth of free blades with your razor. Just be sure to add them to your cart. That's a hundred free blades. When you head to H E N S O N S H A V I N G dot com slash wrestle and use the promo code wrestle. Bruce, you know a thing or two about double edged razors. Henson's the real deal, is it not? Smooth as a baby's butt, baby. Nice and pretty and even. Once you do, you never forget. It just comes right back. Look, look at that. Look at that. Oh, look how smooth that is. Wait, I can't figure out what, what wait, I'm over here. I'm over here. Look at that. Ooh. Dude, you do, you're touching Pretty. your face like that. That was very Doc Hendricks of you. Are you sure Doc's getting very much Bruce Pritchard like him? 
There it is. There it is. Hensonshaving.com slash wrestle. Use that promo code wrestle. You're going to love it. Hensonshaving.com slash wrestle. So Sean comes out and does what's basically a shoot interview because Brett is not here. He's on the South African tour. Meltzer would recap it and say that Sean said that he and Brett loathe each other in wrestling and in real life. He said, Brett didn't just turn bad guy. He's always been a bad guy, a guy. He used his parents, his sister and his kids to get on TV so he could make money. He said, if Brett could make a buck, he'd sell his mother. He said six years ago when he got the intercontinental title and Brett was the WWF champ, that he was happy playing second fiddle to Brett, but when it was Brett's turn to play second fiddle, he kicked and scratched every inch of the way. He said, Brett took time off because he thought the WWF and Shawn Michaels would collapse while he was gone, but instead they had the best business they'd had in six years. And he asked McMahon if this was true. And McMahon agreed because McMahon is in the ring when all this is happening. Uh, this is interesting because first of all, that's as far as I understand it, not true. Gates and houses with Sean were not better than they'd been in six years, but that's splitting hairs. We're telling stories here, but this almost feels like it's not exactly, but this might be the first seed of Mr. McMahon here. Is it not? I mean, in high, being immense, right. It's all Mr. McMahon was. But the idea that, Hey, he's kind of the boss. We haven't really acknowledged that. We saw a little bit of that right before WrestleMania. Yeah, 13. I don't know they acknowledged him as the boss. It was still, I think Vince acting as play by play. Right. Got here. You know what I mean? What'd you think of this promo? Brett's not just turned bad guy. He's always been a bad guy. What'd you think of that? That was a great promo. I did too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's again, when you can throw in, sprinkle some truth into that, make people question it. Hmm. It's got a point there. Best kind. So as you'll recall, Sid's out. So Austin is inserted into Sid's spot for a match against mankind on raw. And he tells gorilla monsoon. He'll only do it. If he gets a match with Bret Hart at the pay-per-view and monsoon agrees. Now we're doing that because it was supposed to be Brett versus Sid at the pay-per-view. I'd like to point something out. Yes, please do. How long ago was this? 1997. I bet you Steve Austin has still got that same shirt. I saw it last week on most wanted treasures. I believe it. I made that up, but yeah, I mean, probably did though. Yeah. He's a saver, huh? Um, Steve's, uh, been very smart with his money. I meant clothes. No, I mean, but he's very, I mean, what I mean by that, it, you know, Steve's got a beautiful place, man, and all this, but he always saved his money. He didn't do extravagant over the top things. So, you know, Steve, Steve wore the same t-shirt till it, uh, till it wears out. There you go. The difference is Steve will wash it and keep it clean. Um, but yeah. The difference between him and who you had somebody in mind when you said that a lot of people. Okay. Come on. Give us one name. I'm sure there are a lot of names. Oh, you got somebody you don't want to say right now. No. Okay. Well, listen, I guess what I wanted to talk about here is it feels as if when we think about Austin, 
like a lot of people think, man, once he had that match with Brett, he was off to the races and he was, but that doesn't feel as if it was the original plan. It's supposed to be Sid and Brett Sid's out, man. And, and we talk about this a lot on JR show that in real sports in traditional sports, when an injury happens, it creates opportunity for the guy who gets to fill that spot. And, and one door closes another opens. It worked out wonderfully for stone cold here. My goodness. Um, let's talk about what else is happening here in April. ECW is having their very first pay-per-view barely legal from the ECW arena. Would that have been a pay-per-view you would have watched live or on tape? No, neither one. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Even when you're, you guys have a relationship and you're sending talent and all that, just no interest. I, I, I don't remember. So I, I really, I, I don't, uh, if we had somebody on it, Howard would probably bring me a tape. Tell me about it. I watched your first pay-per-view they ever had. That's what I'm talking about. This one. This is it. Yeah, this is it. This is the one with Lawler. No, no, that was the second one. Lawler and Tommy dreamer was hardcore heaven. That's well, well, uh, yeah, one, but Lawler the, came out at the end of this one. This no, this is where Funk won the title at the very end of this one. Taz and Sabu were involved in this one. If that's what you're thinking. Of. I don't know, is this the one where I told Paul he exposed his business? I don't know. What, I think whatever the very first one they ever had, I did watch. This is it. And I told Paul, he called me afterwards and I said, well, Paul, I think you exposed your business tonight. And he said, well, that's a good thing. I said, not in this case, because up until this point, the ECW show was a compilation show. Oh, I see what you're saying. And Just it, it, you, you never saw, you never saw matches, right? You saw highlights, right? And, uh, he said, cause that's so, no, a good thing. I said, no, this one's a bad thing. I said, Jesus, cause some of those say, look, I defy anybody to go back and watch it with an optimistic guy with a, with a, with reality glasses on. Okay. Not, oh my God, no, go watch it with reality glasses on and tell me that that was a great show because it wasn't, it was terrible. It just, it was a lot of guys just were, were exposed because people had never seen them before. I, you know, in a lot of respects, I hadn't seen some of them before. Right. I'd seen the highlights. Highlights are great. And again, that's where I credit Paul Haven's genius. He was able to, get the absolute most out of anybody he had. And in this situation, he allowed them to go out and work for 20 minutes when they should have been out there for eight. Let's run through the, uh, the car mm -hmm. Van Dam and Lance storm, both in the WWE, mm -hmm. uh, the six man tag. Well, that became Kai and Ty. They were all in the WWE. Shane Douglas was in the WWE mm -hmm. Taz and Sabu, both in the WWE, wasn't uh, it? Terry Funk, Shane Sam wasn't in. Before Shane wasn't in after this. He wasn't in after. No, he was before, uh, Terry Fox, Sandman and Stevie Richards and blue Manny and Nova. They're all in yeah. the WWE and then How Raven and Terry, Terry Funk. Funk. My point is almost everyone on the whole damn show. Sure, we had, we bought ECW <laughs> the fuck. I just love, Hey, these guys were the Wait, shit. They no, sucked. I, no, that's not, I didn't say these guys. I said this fucking goddamn pay-per-view. I said that some of them should not have had, he allowed them to go too long where it exposed. Some of these guys couldn't work 
that kind of match. And they couldn't. And Balls Mahoney and Louie, and I love Louie to death. They couldn't work fucking a 20-minute match. Balls couldn't work a three-minute match. Was he entertaining? Sure. But come on, be honest. Go, don't, don't sit there and look at you. Oh, it was good. Sure they were. Steve Austin fucking did a stint in ECW too. A lot of people did. Bruce, you uh you don't have to get hot about it. No, nah, get hot about it because you fucking look at you fucking Yeah, shit. A lot of them fucking work. <laughs> but you go back and watch it. You go back and fucking watch it and tell me if it was a good fucking pay-per-view or not. It wasn't. Everybody was like, just, oh, so happy because ECW yes. was on pay-per-view. It was a celebration of them being on pay-per-view more than it yeah, being Yeah, hit pay-per-view. Yay, they got on pay-per-view. Somebody allowed them on. I love maybe that. Nice. Well, hang on. But think about it. Think about when Paul got TV and they said, oh, hey, man, we need to have matches on TV now. And... How quickly did that last after that? It was How quickly did the company stay in business after they got full matches on and putting on, you know, a card? How long did that last? Not long. Nah, not long at all. No. No, not at all. How long did that last when it couldn't use uh, popular music anymore? I knew you were going to say that because that was such didn't a la- big It didn't part. last long, did it? No. Once you yeah. had to use licensed music and you had to have mm-hmm. a more television friendly presentation, it wasn't the same. Yeah. They lost their way for sure. Let's talk about, yeah. uh, the war at the time. It's not about WWF and ECW. It's about the WWF and WCW and the Chicago sun times back when newspapers were a thing, did a real story about the Monday night wars in wrestling. Bischoff said, quote, Vince likes to cry about the deep pockets of Ted Turner and time Warner, but we're a publicly held company. I can tell you that they have more production staff, better production facilities, and a bigger marketing budget. The difference is they don't have the talent we do because that's where we spend our money. And McMahon says, if Eric Bischoff says we spend more money in every area, except talent, it's a blatant lie. And Bischoff says we were profitable in 95 and 96. If Vince McMahon says differently, that's a blatant lie. And McMahon says they're willing to overpay for performers who were no longer in their athletic prime. There's no way I could match the exorbitant guaranteed figure of a billionaire willing to throw away his money. Do you think it bothered Eric that Vince always said, it's about me versus Ted Turner. I mean, oh, yeah. he, he never acknowledged Eric really. Nope. And that just pissed Eric off. Did it not? I but I don't think that Vince at that time, I don't believe that Vince saw it as Eric. He saw it as Ted. He didn't know Eric met him one time. He didn't know who Eric was. Didn't to him. It was Ted Turner. There's no beef with Eric. If you go to mainstream media, are they going to know Ted Turner or Eric Bischoff? Right. Who would you rather write about? Ted Turner. Ding, ding, ding. 
Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, half the crew here is in South Africa. The other half is in the uh, States. They're doing a raw taping. That's going to have matches from both locations. Was this a bit of a pain in the ass where we've got some of our show here, domestic, some international, or did you like that presentation? Hated it. I, I didn't think he'd like that. Absolutely hated it. Well, I don't think it's just you who hated it. Meltzer would say the sound mixing on the April 14th raw was worse than the darkest days of WCW. It's weird how raw was so state of the art to where commentary done live at the building and later in studio was mixed to where nobody even knew the difference. The difference in sound from the commentary done in South Africa by Jim Ross and honky and the sound from the studio where it was revoiced over was noticeable and claim off as clumsy and like an amateur production. And as I understand it, this is one of those shows that Vince is just furious about. Do you recall this? Which, which part? Just, he didn't South feel Africa. Yes. The idea that it, it, it didn't sound, it didn't feel polished. It felt thrown together. Cause it was, yeah. I mean, it really was. And, um, you're dealing with anytime you're international and you don't have your truck, you don't have your people, you, you split your assets. And no matter how good your people are, it's it, you're still splitting your assets and you're still relying on an international team that doesn't have the same standards and doesn't have a lot of times the same equipment that you have. Um, so it comes off less than when you put them together where the differences are glaring, that's even worse. Is this one of the episodes, this particular episode of raw, where there's some from South Africa, some here in America, it's been said over the years, that this is one of the episodes that led to Vince Russo having more power on the writing team. Was that the way you recall this? No, it was after, uh, JJ Dillon left <laughs> and, uh, I knew we started sitting in up. on meetings and stuff. Oh yeah. We, uh, we, we had definitely, yes. Had Vince sit in on meetings. Absolutely. Uh, Neville I thought Vince offered good ideas too. I really sure. did. Let's talk about Neville Meyer. Uh, he's going to be the highest ranking person in the history of Titan sports, not named McMahon because he was the co CEO of the company along with Linda McMahon. And he resigns in this era and Meltzer would say, we never really heard much about him after he was hired. He was supposed to be in charge of taking the business to a quote unquote new level. But nothing changed drastically and his leaving doesn't even seem to have caused that much of a stir. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Mr. Meyer. What can you tell us about Neville Meyer? Neville was South African. Um, wish I could remember the actor's name was an older actor that, uh, that he looked like, but, um, so Neville was a guy that we would have meetings with a lot of people in the company and Neville would sit in on these meetings and he would just sit there and not say a word. And most times, you know, whenever I go into a meeting, there's someone there. I don't know. I walk over and introduce myself. Not everybody did that. And all he said was, hello. I said, and you are? And he says, Neville. Said, 
Okay, nice to meet you, Neville. That was it. But not, not a lot of people introduced themselves to him. He would sit there, never said a word, never was addressed, never was introduced, nothing. And this went on for about three or four weeks. And I asked Vince, like probably the second week, I said, what? who is this guy? What's he doing? And Neville was a guy that would go into companies and prepare them for going public. That was his MO. Neville was coming to was coming in to observe and to watch, you know, all the aspects of our business. He sat in on every Vince meeting. He sat in Vince's office, you know, whenever uh, he met with anybody. And then um, he was named CEO of the company. And then, uh, you know, I think we got everything we needed out, out of Mr. Uh, Mr. Neville and he moved on. He was never long for this world anyway. Okay. I think there were, there was a part of him kind of in the middle there that he, I think he thought that he was really in charge when, um, you know, he, he was there for other reasons. And I think he did a pretty good job in, in that regard, preparing the company to go public. And he's the one that lined up uh, Augie and lined up everybody to, to get us to go public. Well, he's out of here. And unfortunately, Chief J. Strongbow and George the Animal Steel are going to see their bookings cut way back here as well. And Meltzer would actually say that George doesn't have any bookings at the president. What was the, were they just getting old and they had a different view on wrestling and you wanted something new or why did Vince decide to move away from chief J and George, the animal steel? Well, we had an awful lot of producers and we were looking to go with, you know, some younger, different views. Yes. Um, plus for both Jim and Jay, they, they couldn't do the kind of travel we were doing anymore. It was just wearing on them. They weren't the best of health and needed, needed the rest. I see. After barely legal takes place, the ECW pay-per-view that you maybe definitely didn't absolutely did watch the Michinoku pro wrestlers who wowed everyone wind up taking a meeting at the WWF headquarters. And what do you know? Taka Michinoku, Shofunaki, Dick to go. Here they come. And you see a photo if you're over on our YouTube, at something to wrestle.com. Taka holding up his contract with Vince McMahon. And there you are grinning like a possum. You saw something on that pay-per-view you liked Bruce. Tell the truth. Um, Conrad, who do you think, who do you think paid for that whole group to come in and make that pay-per-view? The one you didn't watch. Yeah. Oh, that would be you. Not me personally. (laughs) Yeah. Right. The company WWF. I got you. (laughs) And who do you think? Now, now I will give the devil his due. Paul Heyman is the one who told me about Taka. Right. And we were looking at, um, you only refer to him that on TV day, the devil, you just call Paul, the devil, just for your regular course of business. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was having a conversation with the devil and I like it. I got a few of those. (laughs) Oh, really? Multiple devils. That's multiple devils. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, No, I call Paul happy. I remember that happy Heyman. 
Yes, happy hangman. Um, but uh, Paul's one that smartened me up about talking. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, Sasuke wanted to meet with us. So everybody made it so that we we're bringing him in. Paul used him, blah, 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 which again is fine. Yeah. We were, we were helping Paul. We, we wanted Paul to succeed. Right. Um, Victor Quinones uh, was also a big part of that, but it was Heyman who said, no, nah, man, you don't want Sasuke. Cause Sasuke was pushing himself. Oh, I see. Big time. And it was Heyman that, that said, he goes, no, nah, you don't want Sasuke. You want Taka. And we took Taka. Sasuke had a cup of coffee, but yeah, Taka's the guy who's going to have some staying power around these parts. Uh, Sasuke had cups of coffee to go. Like Dick to go. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the pay-per-view. Hey, before we do, we should remind everybody, uh, that this is the era where Vader is asked a question over in Kuwait about whether or not wrestling's real and, uh, it doesn't end well. We covered all of this in our Vader episode in great detail. So it feels silly to just rehash. Do you remember the largest fine ever levied? Is that what this was? At that, at the, oh yeah. Vader was fine. The largest fine we'd ever find anyone up until that point. Do you remember the amount? Yeah, I do. And it was $30,000. Oh, wow. That's a lot. And, and expenses. Oh, well, the expenses are the part that gets you. Well, well, expenses of staying over there and yeah. security and everything and getting them out and all that crud. Let that be a lesson to you, boys and girls. When in doubt, do what the undertaker would do. Uh, okay. Let's jump to it. We're finally here. We're going to talk about the show, but before we do don't touch people without consent, that's the lesson. I, I agree. That is the lesson, but the other lesson, isn't it true? Just tell the truth. You have a hard on for Vader. No, not oh God, no, not at all. Well, you would if you were chewing some blue chew. Boys oh, and girls, hell. Come, on. come on now. Blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And here's the thing, guys this isn't just for guys who suffer from ED, this is for guys who want to put on a show, they want to put on a performance. I've got a friend of ours, Bruce, who swears by it. He uses it for mother's day anniversaries, uh, certainly her birthday and absolutely Valentine's day. He is a selective Bluetooth user, but it works every time you need to try it. Sign up right now, bluetooth.com consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part is it's all online. That means you don't have to go to the doctor's office. That means no awkward conversations. That means no waiting in line at the pharmacy. They're made right here in the USA. They prepare and ship right to your door, all in a discreet package. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. And man, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code wrestle at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is wrestle and you'll receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. So listen, Bruce, we've, uh, we've talked a little bit about WrestleMania 13 on this show, and we know how important WrestleMania is, and we know how important the Royal Rumble is, and we certainly know how important SummerSlam is. 
but it in your house like this, this is still the era where they're two hour shows and we're not charging as much money and we're having them every month. Was it hard to get excited for these monthly pay-per-views when we're even saying it's going to be less time and less money. Therefore it just feels less important, right? No. Okay. No. Yeah. Once you, once you got into the groove of the monthly events, you know, just was what it was. Bret Hart is coming into this show with a, a knee injury that he aggravated while he was on the overseas tour. And, uh, we know that's going to become an issue here in the spring and summer of 1997. This show was not well received by the critics. It gets 47.7% thumbs down in the reader poll, 34.9% thumbs up and 17.4% thumbs in the middle. There's only 6,477 paying fans. It's $87,414. And that might not sound huge, but it's a smaller building. So it's a sellout. So, Hey, if it's a sellout, what else can you ask for? Up first, we got, Uh, we can always do better. Damn it. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're going to eventually raise ticket prices. You're going to go from two hours to three hours for in your house, raise your pay-per-view prices. We're going to get there. We're just not there yet. Opening up though, we get a 10 minute match with uh, LOD and Owen I had Hart. to yawn. You had to yawn. I'm done. I'm done now with LOD and Owen and Davey. No, uh, it, it, it gets three quarters of a star. Uh, Brett's going to come in and Meltzer would say that it was kind of a clumsy finish. He's a little late with his run in the ref had started a two count. He's coming down for three when Brett kicks Hawk for the DQ, uh, which is what happened. The problem is the ref had to wait several seconds to start his count, which looks stupid. It is what it is. Timing can't be everything. The man's working on a tweak knee, not maybe the best way to start the pay-per-view. And then doc would interview Owen and bulldog. And when doc tells Owen that Austin has arrived, they react in disbelief. Like they think that they had done something to uh, stop him from being scheduled to appear. Next up, Savio Vega and Rocky Mavia. Boy, the fans. Wait, a minute, wait, 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 wait. You ever seen the the Austin Idol interview when he couldn't get to the, couldn't get to the building on time, and by God, he had uh, four flat he tires. Had, uh, flat tire and heels come out. And say, hey, just because he had four flat tires. Who ever said I had four flat tires, Daddy? Yes. I never said I had four flat tires, daddy. No one ever said he had four flat tires. I don't know what happened to Austin. I'm going to come the big cat on that ladder and you better call somebody. Let him know there's something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchett. It's on live on YouTube right here in Living Color. I won't have to beat that beard right off of your face, Conrad Tompkins. I love it. Savio Vega is going to wrestle Rocky. Dance, silver dance. Savio Vega, of course, WWE superstar, pay-per-view superstar stole the show this past weekend in Puerto Rico. I don't know what Rocky Mavia is up to these days, but Savio is going to win by count out. So Mavia retains and, uh, we've got Farouk doing color and he's trying to explain the stipulations for the next pay-per-view where it's going to be a three on one deal with Ahmed Johnson. His headset is not working right away. 
So it's not as smooth as maybe it could have been. Uh, crush is going to be involved and, uh, he's going to throw a heart punch after the match. Vega and crush are going to start arguing because Vega was mad about the count out Farouk gets in the ring, calms him down. They all get the nation to attack Rocky Maivia until Ahmed Johnson shows up with the trusty two by four to make the save three quarters of a star. Hey man, we're trying. You see, if you're watching on YouTube right there, Ahmed Johnson had been really over in 95 and 96. We're trying to get it going in 97. It's tough. And we're also trying to get this new guy made here in Rocky Maivia. None of this is really clicking, but Lord, it ain't for a lack of trying. Yeah. You know, it, it was <laughs> the best, you know, the best thing that happened to rock was the knee injury when he finally has that. But, you know, during this time you, you're, you're trying hard, trying hard. And the audience was just farting all over him. A little difficult. It's interesting too, that, you know, in this match, we see the nation just putting the beat down on Rocky just mm-hmm. a few months from then. Hey, if you can't beat them, join them. There you go. Doc's in the back. He's going to interview Mark Miro and Sable. Miro said he's going to be back uh, in the summer from his injury, and it's going to be a wild summer. And in the background, Austin walks into the men's room. A ruckus breaks out, and Owen and Bulldog run out of it a minute later with pipes in their hands. Dave Hebner runs out of the bathroom saying, Owen and Bulldog just messed up Austin, and Austin needs help. So we're shooting the pay-per-view to feel a little bit more like a TV show. It feels a little Monday night raw here. And I kind of like it. Uh, is this uh, Russo what the hell is Dave doing in the bathroom? It's a great question. Maybe he was like, taking a slam. Yeah. Maybe pull his pants up and run out or what? How many slams a day you take in these days? Not enough. One slam, two slams. You a three slam a day guy. Oh God. No, I wish one or two. I'd like to be at one. Oh, you're not even at one. Depends. It depends, Conrad. We're getting into bodily functions now. And, and, you know, I mean, with my colitis and everything, it's just, uh, oh man. So I, that's why I have to drink a lot of water. Man, I always knew you were full of shit, but I didn't know. Literally next up, Jesse James and rockabilly. They're going to go six minutes and 56 seconds. Meltzer would say the place died when Billy Gunn came out as honky's mystery protege. It was a huge letdown. The match had no heat at all. James won with a small package. Honky tried to hit James with his guitar after the match, but James got out of the way. Quarter star. Man, this was uh just not it's good. Real double J right there. Double J, Jesse James. It's so fascinating to think where these guys will be in a year. Here they are having a singles match on pay-per-view. Just not good and nobody cares. A year later, man, they are over like Rover. And it's, it's amazing. It's the same two guys. It was just, it's all in the presentation, isn't it, Bruce? I think again, it also, yeah, it's in presentation and it's also in confidence, you know, put someone in, in that position and some people rise to the occasion. Some don't, they did. Next up, we see Kevin Kelly. He's going to interview Steve Austin, who seems to be just short of crying. According to Dave Meltzer. Kelly asked a red face Austin why he's refusing medical help. And he said, he doesn't need any gorilla monsoon said he would buy Austin extra time by putting his match on last on the card. And then we see Lance, Wright Interviewing the heart foundation, uh, bulldogs said he and Owen were celebrating their victory over the road warriors in the bathroom. When Austin walked in and attacked them for no reason. 
And Brett said in reference to Austin, the bottom line is look who's crying now. I like that because we've heard Brett over and over and over be accused of being a crybaby from Steve Austin. So that's kind of fun. Who in the hell was Lance Wright? That's what I wanted to ask you. We saw that guy pop up for a cup of coffee in ECW and he had just a, a handful of appearances here for you guys. Uh, a handsome backstage interviewer, I suppose, but I don't know. Yeah. You don't remember that fellow at all, huh? At all. Well, that's fine. Well, next up it's our world title match. Yes. This is supposed to be the main event, but no, it is not. It's Undertaker. Well, because Steve got jumped, man. Gorilla Monsoon is doing what only a true good gorilla commissioner would do, and that is to put his match on last in the evenings so that Steve may have time to recuperate in proper time. Come back later. By God. Hey, let me ask you this. We, we have seen the Undertaker as a champion once before. And it was under less than ideal circumstances after the whole, he's the, one of the first guys to beat Hulk Hogan beats him for the world title, whole Hulk Hogan controversy. We'll talk about another time, but the point is this is his second bite at the apple. And now man, he is a made man. He is the godfather of the locker room. Uh, he is a legend in the WWE just a handful of years later, but after all these years of service and, and really carrying the torch for the company, he's got the world title and it wasn't even the original plan, but he got it. And now his first pay-per-view after it's named after him in your house, revenge, a taker. He's the champ. He's on the poster. He doesn't get to work the main event. Does he take that personally? Does it, does he take it personally? He doesn't go on last. No. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate all the context. I mean, well, well what's her? See, only only people in the, that don't really understand get upset about that. I, I don't. I don't. I I'm not upset about that. it. I'm asking if he was upset about it. No, and, and I and I answer the question, and then you get pissed off. Go oh, thanks for the context because you think that it's like it's a big deal. Oh, if you don't go on last, you go. I didn't say it was a big deal. I asked if it was a big deal to him and you said, no, I got my answer. But acting like it should be a big deal because you probably think it's a big deal when it's not a big deal. I didn't say it was a big deal. I asked if he thought it was a big deal though. Hey, uh, I got you something. Hang on. Let me, there it is. Okay. Well, see now, now you're a little butt hurt a little bit. I'm a big butt hurt. I'm not a little anything. Huh? I don't know. You just like yelling. I wanted to yell some. I'm not yelling. I'm not yelling at all. Oh. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting on my back. I'm hands in my pocket. I'm completely wrong. Let's, let's get Amber in there and let her suck. So- Amber's gone. Up. Amber's gone. Is Kane gone? She ain't here no more. Kane, no, Kane's not here. Kane's I'm here all by myself. I'm here with all my friends. I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> they even took my new dog. Oh, well, that new dog sucks. Hey, fuck you. That new dog. You got to work on that. Oh no, Bean's awesome, man. She's cool as shit. Bean, I thought the dog's name was Fernum Schnavitz. Uh, fucking don't get me started, man. I thought it was Fernum Schnavitz this whole it time. It was Fernum. Well, why isn't it now? Uh, you know what? I tapped out. Who, yeah. who, who wins the bread in that household? I'm just saying. Dude, I don't even get a vote. Bean? What the fuck is a bean? 
She's a good puppy dog. If Bean was the champ, Bean she wouldn't even wrestle in the main event. If Bean was the champ, Bean wouldn't wrestle in the main event. Define the main event. Fernum Schnavitz would go on last. Define the fucking main event. See, you can't even define the main event. Last. No, no. I know, I know, I know. Years and years. Hogan did it. I understand. understand. Bruno did it. Everyone's done it. Everyone that's a star. You're either a star or you're not. Your mama did it. You either can go, my mama's done it. Yeah. She's been on last. She's been in the middle too. (laughs) Hey, my mama's dead. Oh, God. Well, so was The Undertaker, and he didn't go on last. There you go. Wrestled Mankind for 17 minutes and 26 seconds. It's really good. In the as, main you, event. as you might imagine, largely due to the performance of Mankind taking some crazy bumps. Uh, he does get a pitcher of water from Vince McMahon's desk, breaks it over Undertaker's head, follows with a hard chair shot. It was pretty clear they were going for hardware juice, but Undertaker didn't, up getting, didn't end up getting cut. There's a big elbow off the middle rope onto the floor. Uh, the bandage comes off of undertaker's face, revealing the ugly scab from the fire angle. We get a couple of pile drivers. There's no ref. This is just great stuff. I mean, when these guys fought, you want to talk about pulling out all the stops, running into the ring steps, going head first through tables. I mean, is there anything mankind wouldn't do in this era? No, it's great. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Both of them. The, in the chemistry that they had that could reignite and, and always feel good. It was, it was a special, it was a special rivalry that, uh, taker and mankind had that again, I don't think has been duplicated. Great. I mean, the, the, the header through the Spanish table, you got to go out of your way to see on this show. There's a big choke slam and then undertaker finally wins with the tombstone. But after that, Undertaker is looking for some revenge with, uh, Paul bear and, uh, eventually, as you might imagine, they're going to try some more fire stuff. The idea is to throw fire at the undertaker. Um, he, he sets it up a couple of times. The lighter doesn't work. They blow the spot. The flash paper does wind up going, but it goes at bears face three and three quarters of a star. If you didn't have the fire piece of business here, this would have been one of their classic matches. It does feel like with that botch, it was a classic match. It was a classic match, but that thing afterward, the lighter not cooperating, it takes away from the whole thing. Does it not? It took away from the aftermath without a doubt. Yeah. Yes, it certainly did. And it was, that was a sad state of affairs and sometimes shit happens. I just hate it when it happens like that. I mean, as crazy as it is, Undertaker's is like, okay, we got to do something. I'll just set Paul Bear's face on fucking fire. And he does. Go out of your way to yeah. watch this one. This is kind of a forgotten great match of theirs. Everybody always talks about SummerSlam and Buried Alive and all that. Go watch this one. And hey, since you're there, stick around for the main event. What goes on last? Steve Austin and Bret Hart go 21 minutes and nine seconds. Another fantastic match. Unfortunately, maybe not on par with their survivor series match and really nothing could touch WrestleMania, but it's a great match. Three and three quarter stars. They're telling a great story. It ends with a DQ though. As you might imagine, Bulldog's going to come in, hit Austin with a chair. That's the DQ finish, but Austin's going to keep beating him to the punch with chair shots to the knee and putting the sharpshooter on. And he's going to hold it until Owen and Bulldog come knock him out of the ring. 
and Brett is selling the knee big time three and three quarters of a star. I don't think these guys are capable of having a bad match. Just the, the chemistry is unbelievable with these guys. I, you know, I think you'd be hard pressed to find Brett having a match with hardly any, a bad match with hardly anybody. Yeah. Um, when you Brett th- had that talent of, of if he couldn't get them in the first 10 minutes, he'll take another 10 just to make sure he does. Brett was a beautiful artist in the ring, man. Not just talking about, cause listen, this is a popular thing to discuss online. The Mount Rushmore of wrestling, not in terms of drawing money, not in terms of character or merch sales or tickets, or I'm talking about just as you like to say, and then that damn bell rang. Where do you rank Brett all time? Is he on the Mount Rushmore? He's gotta be right. I think of, of in ring work. Yes. Yeah. It's gotta be. Yeah. Well, let's do some fan questions. Uh, Eric wants to know who designed the set with just the, in your house garage as the entry area. Did you have set designers back then? Who would that have been? We did. We did. We had an entire creative team who would create those, you know, back in the day, we didn't have the, the team like we have now, but it was creative services would draw it up and build it. And that was it. That was the extent of it. Friend of the show, Ray LaDuke says, uh, how would you teach up and comers to execute a proper fireball? Dude, first of all, you got to take your time. You got to make sure that shit's dry. Second of all, you need to just have technique and finesse. Uh, I've, I've been told that you don't throw a fireball. You present a fireball. Is that it? Well, it depends. I could throw one. Really? Can we get you to throw one on camera soon here on something to wrestle? Can Silva come up here and throw that and demonstrate? That would be great. I will volunteer that. Yes. Sign it. Done deal. Or I'll just sandpaper his face just to, and we can tell people I did it. Why did you grit your teeth when you said that? Because I just, he makes me grit my teeth. I'm just fucking. Uh, Garrett wants to say the war Memorial arena in Rochester is a small building. Is it tougher to run a pay-per-view in those smaller arenas compared to say an MSG? Sometimes it's easier because again, everything's so compact and you're not running all over the place, uh, to do things. But <laughs> Rochester was an old building too. <laughs> and it, it could be, it had its own set of challenges. Ben says, do you remember what the plan would have been for Steve Austin on this show? Had Sid stuck around to wrestle Bret Hart and would Sid and Bret have had the main event slot on the show? Well, I think, I don't know. Uh, but I think that Steve was going to be involved in that Bret match regardless. Just coming off of their WrestleMania. Right. So even if it starts with Sid and Bret Austin there from a story standpoint. Yeah. Stefan wants to know where does this rank in Bruce's top five in your house pay-per-views? Yep. Sure does. Just Chris says, since you were stuck with it's time because Vader was going to be champ, according to the plan, that would have been December of 96 is in your house. How did you get revenge of the taker in there so quickly when Brett and Sean was the original plan for the main event only a month prior? Who said that was the original plan only a month prior? See, that's where you're reading too many dirt sheets there. Is that, was that Stefan? It changed in February, right? You knew in February that you were going to have to go with Taker. Uh, when Sean lost his smile. smile. Yeah, that's February. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, Ruben has a fun one. We haven't done this in a while. What would it sound like if Jim Cornette sang Sonny's theme song? Dude, I couldn't sing Sonny's theme song. If you, I have no idea. Motherfucker. It started with, I know you want me. I know you want me, bitch. I don't know. With my hairy titties. Wow. She had hairy ones. No, you said Jim was singing. Oh, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next week, Bruce, Judgment Day 2008 will be our topic. I thought we were going to ask me Bruce and shit. You want to next week? Yeah. Okay, we can do what you want to do, Bruce. Fine. Fine. Well, you don't have to be hot about it. Well, you know, you know what? It puts me off. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm putting you on the spot now. I'm not even going to say next week because we were supposed to do this show last week. So you and I are going to try to record this week's show. It's Wednesday morning as we're recording. Are we going to have a new Very show? Very early, I might add. Are we going to have a new show on Friday? Please. You going to ask me anything? Pretty please. Are you going to ask me shit? I will ask you shit. I, I mean, I think you'd rather do a topic, but I will ask you shit. What makes you think I'd rather do a topic? Because you're going to get 182 questions about Bad Bunny and shit like that. Well, I won't answer them. I know that. So I'm going to have to filter through until we get to like, what would it sound like if Jim Cornette sang Vader's theme song? Okay. By the way, it's uh, fine. <laughs> I don't know what his song is either. Ed Worthington, uh, the director from Houston wrestling. I talked to him yesterday. I, I, I was able to get that number and that, pass yeah, it over. Was, How did nice. that go? T- tell everybody who that is and what you guys talked about. Ed Worthington was the director of Houston wrestling in Houston, Texas, worked for KHTV channel 39 in Houston. And, uh, I worked with Ed many, many years in Houston and he sent a note in somehow, I guess to Conrad found Conrad and, uh, Conrad gave me his number because I had two numbers on him that were no good. And, uh, talked to him for about an hour and a half about all kinds of stuff. Really? Yeah, man. That's awesome. That's super cool. It's nice to reconnect. I just talked with uh, one of your old pals not too long ago, Mr. David Sahadi. Uh, I had an opportunity to talk to him about his entire experience with WWE and shooting some of these raw opens and, and that fabulous Freddie Blassie vignette that made Vince McMahon cry. The conversation is live now over at adfreeshows.com. You don't want to miss it. By the way, if your business targets men that are 25 to 54 years old, no better place to advertise than right here on something to wrestle. Find out how easy and affordable it is at advertisewithbruce.com. That's advertisewithbruce.com. Listen, you hear the same advertisers over and over and over on this show. You want to know why? Because it really works. It's super targeted. There's very little waste. Check it out. Advertisewithbruce.com. Love to have your interactions on social media. Follow the show at Pritchard show on Twitter and Instagram. Something to wrestle over on Facebook. The easiest way to support the show is to go like subscribe and turn on your notifications for something to wrestle.com. That's our YouTube channel. That's something to wrestle.com and tons of new swag over at something to wrestle shirts.com. That's something to wrestle shirts.com. You don't want to miss it's ding dong time. What a great shirt that is. Go check it all out. And don't forget when you buy a shirt for Bruce Pritchard, you get a shirt. Something to wrestle shirts.com. Bruce today was fun, man. I love talking about 1997, but before we let you go, I have an off the beaten path question. I found myself bored with the family last night. We ate some dinner. 
and trying to find something to watch. And somebody said something about, did you ever see cannonball run? And as I'm looking for that, I found a movie called stroker ace. Do you ever see that? Yeah. Can't say I have. It's a Burt Reynolds movie where Lonnie Anderson plays his love interest. And he is, uh, a NASCAR driver and he is being courted by a potential sponsor, Ned Beatty, who wants him to, uh, be the chicken man. So he takes an endorsement and wears all red and they want him to dress up like a chicken and cluck and call himself the fastest chicken in the South. Mm -hmm. And this is a movie from 1983 and a handful of years after this, you too would have a guy dress up in all red and cluck any inspiration for the red rooster character from the Stroker Ace movie. Never heard of it. So I don't, I have no idea. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for us here on something to wrestle. Any, uh, last moments or words you want to share with us about 1997's revenge of the taker. 97 was a uh, interesting year. That's all I got to say. That's it. All right. You've already, you've already angered me and pissed me off. We've angered you. We've pissed you off and we're going to do more of that sooner rather than later. Cause we're doing ask Bruce anything right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard rock on Fight plus is the ultimate digital platform for live sports and entertainment. And they're now offering a free seven day trial at tryfight.com. Fight Plus is packed with a premium live event schedule, over a thousand hours of live action every year, and a library of more than 4,000 hours on demand, plus exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Fight is a great partner of ours. They support us, so let's support them. Give that free seven-day trial a shot, and you'll be a member for life. That's tryfight.com, T-R-Y-F-I-T-E.com. Hey guys, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Need to call a timeout real quick here. I wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my world listeners for a while now. It's about all the incredible things happening over on adfreeshows.com. An all new edition of The Insiders is here as Conrad welcomes David Zaudi, the man behind so many iconic video packages WWF fans grew up on, including one that left Vince in tears. You got it. And Conrad, I swear, I walked outside the studio and Vince was sitting down on the concrete floor, crying hysterically, just saying, thank you. Thank wow. you. Thank you. I went up to control Kevin. He says, good job. Can't wait to see it. 15 minutes later in the stairwell, Vince is still sitting down in a different spot now, crying, saying, thank you. Thank you. Jim Johnston created the soundtrack for generations of WWE fans with some of the most iconic themes in history. Jim sits down with Conrad to take us behind some of those classic themes, including The Ultimate Warrior. And then I recorded that. And then just over that, you're just doing. You know, it's so simple, but that's what felt like him. Hey, that's just a small taste of what Ad-Free Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk, getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from. See for yourself why Ad-Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today sign up now at adfreeshows.com that's right sign up today at adfreeshows.com 
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.